Well, good evening, and it's good to see you come along this evening. As Neville mentioned, uh, we are three quarters of the way uh, through our series on four parables which the Lord Jesus told about his return. And the purpose of these parables is not to tell us when the Lord is going to return, but rather how we should live in the light of his return. And tonight we'll be thinking about the parable that is known as the parable of the talents. And let's read now from Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and we'll read from verses 14 to 30. Uh, I'm reading from the ESV. For it, that is, the Lord's second coming, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away." and cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, the Lord does not give us any explanation about the interpretation of this parable. In fact, the Lord has told two different versions of this parable, one in Matthew and one in Luke. But they have different details and they have a different emphasis. We're going to focus on the parable 
and of the version of the parable which Matthew has recorded. So let's just go through the parable and simply notice things which the text tells us. So, there was a wealthy man who was going on a journey. And he was going to return at some point in the future. But in the meantime, he entrusted his wealth in the hands of three of his servants. Now, he had a total of eight what are called talents. Now, a talent, uh, the footnote in the ESV says a talent was about 20 years' salary. So, in, in our world, that's probably about 400,000 pounds. Say, half a million dollars. Okay. Think of a talent as half a million dollars. So, he chose three of his servants, and he gave them different amounts of money. To the first one, he entrusted five talents, about two and a half million dollars. That's quite a lot. To the second one, he entrusted two talents, about a million dollars. And to the third one, he entrusted only one talent, although that itself was about half a million dollars. Now, why did he give them different amounts in this version of the parable? Did you notice the phrase in verse 15? Each according to his ability. So these three servants were not necessarily the top servants in the country. The first servant certainly was very capable, very intelligent, very diligent. So the master gave him the most, five talents. The master knew that the second servant was not as capable as the first one, but he was moderately able. So the master trusted him with two talents. And then there was the third servant. The master knew he was a not very capable servant, not very naturally talented. He was a sort of servant, perhaps, who didn't take risks. He had maybe little imagination, was probably not very bright, and probably a bit lazy. But the master, nevertheless, trusted him with some of his wealth, one talent. And then the master left. Now, what is all this a picture of? Well, it's not rocket science. Clearly, the master is like the Lord Jesus. And just as the master was, about, was going on a long journey, so too the Lord Jesus was about to leave this world and go to his Father in heaven. But he was going to leave his work in the hands of his servants. His servants are his disciples, Christians, or those who claim to be Christians. He has left us behind to continue his work on earth while he is in heaven. But one day, Jesus is going to return, like the master in the story. And then the Lord Jesus will review our service for him. So let's see what the three servants did while the master was away. We don't know much about how the first two servants used the money they were responsible for. We're told that the first one traded with what he was given. Perhaps he used some of the money maybe to buy a farm and used other of the money to hire a number of people to work on the farm and bought seed for the workers to plant. He may have used, spent most of the five talents at that point. But after the first year, he would have been able to gather a good harvest and to sell it and to get back some of the money he had spent. And every year, he made more and more profit. 
after a while, he had recovered all that he had spent. And by the end, he had made five more talents in profit. Made two and a half million dollars in profit. Now, perhaps the second servant may not have thought on such a grand scale. He may have decided just to buy some sheep using his talents. And each year, the sheep would grow lots of wool. So the servant could sell the wool and make a profit. And gradually, he made more and more profit until, in the end, he had not only recovered the money that he had outlaid, but he had made two more talents on top of the two he had started with. Forgive my rather unimaginative speculation. But you can imagine setting up a business, using the money, uh, perhaps importing and selling and exporting at, at higher prices. But what about the third servant? We do know what he did with his talent. He didn't spend it on himself. He didn't buy expensive clothes or a new house or a new car. He was too afraid to go into business in case it failed. Now, in Northern Ireland, where we have a very large public sector, that is one of the reasons why we lack entrepreneurs, because many people prefer security to taking the risk in the private sector. And Northern Ireland is the poorer for that. This man was maybe typical of that. He thought that the master would be angry if he failed and lost all the money. So though the master had told him to put the money to good use, instead he dug a hole in the ground and buried it so that at least he wouldn't lose the money. And then the Lord Jesus says, the master returned. Now, did you notice the phrasing that the Lord uses? He says, after a long time. The Lord Jesus is making it clear that it would be a long time before he returned. There were some Christians in the early church who expected the Lord to return very soon. But it seems that they had not listened to what the Lord Jesus said about it being a long time before his return. Now, let's look at what happened when the master returned. This is going to tell us something about how the Lord Jesus will review our lives and our service for him when we meet him, either if we're still alive when he returns or if we die and go to be with him. So the first servant came before the master. Originally, he had five talents. And he told the master that he had made a good profit and now he had a total of 10 talents. He had doubled his master's wealth while he was away. The master was pleased. Well done, he said. You have been a very reliable and faithful servant. I knew I could trust you. Then the master did three things for this servant. First of all, he seems to have allowed the first servant to keep all the 10 talents that he had. Later in verse 28, we see that he still had 10 talents. And then he was given another one. So the master had not asked for his money back. Obviously, the master was extremely generous. The master was not actually interested in the money. So his motivation must have been something else. So that was not why he had given the money to his servants. It wasn't simply to make more money. 
He wanted his servants to learn to use the money generously. He wanted them to discover that if you sow seed generously, you will reap a much bigger reward. When the master gave this servant five talents, that was like giving him a lot of seed which he could use. The servant had reaped a metaphorical harvest, and in the end, the master gave the servant, sorry, the harvest back to the servant. That tells us something of the character of the master. Then the master, he did more than praise this first servant. He said, you have been faithful in a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. This first servant was now going to be given a much more important job. He would not simply be managing a farm. He would be managing something much grander. In the other version of the parable in Luke, the Lord, the the servant was made governor of 10 cities. That was a very significant uh, administrative role. It's almost like being a king. It was a much more substantial responsibility. That was his reward, if you could call that a reward. When the master gave his servant five talents, it was something of a test to see if he was ready for such a big job later on. In fact, it was more than a test. It was also to train the servant for the future. Because the first servant had been faithful and diligent with what he had been given at the start, he had developed the capability and the mindset to be entrusted with a much more important job. And this tells us a lot about the purpose of our lives now, if you're Christians. And it tells us something of what we will be doing in heaven. Our lives here as Christians are to prepare us for something much more important in heaven. Uh, We'll maybe think later about what these talents might correspond to in our lives, but for now, just notice how we live our lives for the Lord is training us to be better servants who can be trusted with much greater responsibility in the world to come. Secondly, the Lord commended this servant for being faithful. Now, what does being faithful mean? Some people, particularly from our tradition, think that being faithful means you keep doing the same thing as a church year after year, decade after decade. You never change, even if you have no impact. That in the context of investing and in trading and doing business, that is a fairly disastrous strategy. Being faithful is remembering the mission you have been given and doing whatever you need to do to fulfill that mission. If trading conditions change, you've got to change your approach. And in the same way, uh, if we have been entrusted to spread the gospel, then we cannot simply keep using the same methods that we used 50 years ago. If the world changes, we have to um, adapt to the new conditions and do whatever works. That is being faithful to the mission we have been given. And thirdly, the parable also tells us a little of what our life 
in heaven will be like. We will not be sitting around singing hymns all the time and playing harps. I noticed the words that we sang, I want to be where the praise is never ending. Only a praise leader could write words like that. Life is going to be much more interesting than that. We will be working for the Lord in heaven. It will be enjoyable work, even though it may be hard work. It will be enjoyable because the job that the Lord will give us will be well suited to the abilities that we have developed here in this life. The more we invest our lives for the Lord here with imagination, with diligence, and with faithfulness, the more potential we will have to do the sort of work we enjoy in heaven. And there was a third thing that the master said to this first servant. He said, come and share your master's happiness. When this servant discovered that he could grow his money by spending it, investing it wisely, and then seeing the harvest that came back from it, he was discovering something of the joy his master had already known in his own business before he left. And at the end, this first servant, this faithful servant, now understood his master far better. He knew the joy that his master had, and he had begun to discover some of that in his own personal experience. And so he was now able to share the master's happiness. Perhaps you don't think of the Lord Jesus as being full of happiness, but he is. What makes the Lord Jesus happy? When the Lord sees things grow and become fruitful as a result of hard work, that makes him happy. When he sees you growing as a Christian, that makes him happy. If you work with your family or with young people and you see them coming to know the Lord and growing in their faith, that makes the Lord happy. And it makes you happy too. You are sharing in your master's happiness. The more we grow and mature as believers, the more we help others to grow in their faith, and the more we see the gospel bearing fruit, either locally or internationally, the more we will enjoy heaven. We will enjoy what the Lord Jesus enjoys. We will be able to enter into our master's happiness, and we will be glad to work for a master like that in heaven. And then the second servant came. Now, he had been given only two talents. And remember, this was according to his ability. So he was not as capable as the first servant. But he had nevertheless gained two more talents. He had managed to double the money he started with. So don't think that this second servant hadn't been quite as successful as the first. He had done exactly the same. He had doubled his money, the master's money, even though he didn't have the same ability as the first servant. They were both as successful as each other, even though they had different natural abilities. 
and they both received exactly the same praise from the master, word for word. That tells me that success in serving the Lord does not depend on what natural ability or what gifts you may have. These two servants started out with different natural abilities, different gifts, and yet they both achieved the same results. What it does depend on, success in serving the Lord does depend on how faithful we are with what the Lord gives us to do and with the opportunities that he gives us. And finally, we come to the third servant. The servant was so different. He came to the master with one talent. He dug up the talent he had buried and presented it. He was satisfied that he hadn't lost it in a risky investment or in setting up a business which had failed. He explained to the master why he hadn't used the money like the other servants. He had been afraid to spend it on even a small farm or on sheep or on something else that could make a profit. If he had gone into business like that, his business might have collapsed. That was his fear. And he could have lost everything. And he thought that would have made the master angry. What do you think about the servant? Do you think he was right? Was he reasonable to be afraid of failure? If he had set up a business and it had failed, would the master have been angry? Of course not. The master, as we have seen, was not interested in the actual money because he gave the money back to those other two servants. The master would have been pleased that he had tried. The master was not looking for the money. What the master wanted was his servants to develop the right mindset. Obviously, if you're going to invest a lot of money, it's wise to spread your investments and not to put them all your eggs in one basket. So that if one fails, the, other, the others may succeed. But even if you try and fail, that showed at least he was the mindset that the master was looking for. But there was something deeper, more fundamentally wrong with this servant. First of all, he didn't like his master. Do you notice how he started? I knew that you are a hard man. He didn't like or admire his master. And secondly, he just did not understand the master. He didn't know the master's character. In fact, everything he thought about the master was factually wrong. He had no concept of the master being generous. He had a twisted view of his master's character. For example, this servant said, I knew that you always harvest where you have not sown and gather where you have not scattered seed. This servant thought that the master would look for profits without investing. He thought that the master did not sow seed, but still expected to get the profits from his servants. But how wrong that was. I mean, when the master gave him one talent, half a million dollars, that was sowing seed. The master was sowing seed. That was giving the servant something to work with. 
The servant had ignored the obvious facts. He had his own warped preconception, and he ignored the facts that were staring him in his face about his master's character. And because of his warped view of his master, he ignored the facts, and he disliked the master. And he was afraid, he says, of the master. And yet, the telling thing is that even though he said he was afraid of his master, he refused to obey the master, even his misconception of the master. As the master have said, if he had been afraid of losing money, he should have put the money in the bank and at least gained some interest. At least that would have been using the money in a fairly risk-free way. No risk, no effort, getting something for nothing. If, that's, if the servant really believed the master was as he described him, looking for something, for, for something from nothing, he should have put it in the bank and got interest. But he refused to obey even his twisted view of his master. He didn't live according to his own beliefs, even when his beliefs were wrong. And that was why the master condemned him, and rightfully so. It's a scriptural principle that often God will judge people by their own standards, by their inconsistent life, uh, even by their own standards, so that they will condemn themselves and leave themselves without excuse. Now, there are some people like this servant today. They have a warped view of God. Even if they say they don't believe in God, there can be a deeper problem, that they have their own imagined view of God, which this world has fed them, and these people don't like their imagined view of God. They resent him. I think it was Voltaire who said he didn't so much disbelieve in God as disliked him or words to that effect in French. Sometimes it is because they have been told lies about God. They have been told that God is just waiting to punish everyone, that God likes to send people to hell, that God wants to stop us enjoying life. And so people who believe that, they dislike the God they imagine and refuse to trust him. But they can't claim simply to be victims of lies. They have the evidence of other people whose lives have been changed for good when they become Christians. They see many people who love God, but they are reluctant to let the facts challenge their preconceived notion about the character of God. Now, there is still hope for people like that. The best way for us is to show by our lives what God is really like. If we live like Christ, if we love one another and love others, if we are generous in doing good, then people will see something of what God is truly like. And that can cause genuine people, even if they're misguided, to reconsider their view of God and to cause them to want to know the truth about God, what God is like, and search more deeply in the scriptures. And people like that, who have maybe been deceived, but at least who are prepared to look at the evidence more closely, 
they can be converted and can become good, faithful servants. But there are some people who have hardened their own hearts. And like this third servant, they ignore the facts which are in front of them. They refuse to see the truth. They prefer to hold on to their imaginary view of God. And they don't live even according to their own claimed beliefs about God. They will forever live in darkness, a darkness of their own making. So if you should happen to think that God is a hard God, then do be prepared to have your perception challenged and changed by looking at the facts in the Bible. Maybe you focus in your mind on one or two Christians and you say they have put you off Christianity. But the surprising thing is not people who claim to be Christians who don't live like that. The miracle in life is Christians who do live, live like the Lord Jesus, people whose lives have been changed. So you should instead consider those Christians you know who are an example of good. How do you explain the change in their life? So when Christians meet someone who is against the God of the Bible and against Christianity, we shouldn't assume that they have hardened their hearts. Assume that there is hope for them that they have just been fed lies. Show them by your life that God is not a hard God by not being hard yourself. Show them that God is a loving God, a good and generous God. Be patient with people like that and you may help them to come to understand God's character in truth. In truth. Now, I said we would consider, if we had time, what the talents in the parable correspond to in our lives. The translation of the word uh, for the money, the units of money that is given using the word talents is sometimes a bit misleading. People sometimes think of talents as being abilities. But remember that the master distributed the talents based on the already existing abilities of the servants, each according to their ability. So the talents do not represent abilities. The talents give the opportunity to the servants to use their natural abilities for their master. Some people, for example, have natural music ability. Others maybe have the gift of learning other languages. Those are not in themselves the talents in the parable. The talents are the opportunities you might be given in life to use your natural abilities, whatever they are, even how little they are, but to use them to live for the Lord, to serve the Lord, and to live like the Lord. Now, it may be that some of you will have the opportunity to serve the Lord in some particular ministry and in serving others, and if so, then do it well, do it diligently, do it faithfully, and do what is productive, do what works. Do it the way Christ would do it. And above all, try to help people to grow in their knowledge of God and in their faith. But your talent, sometimes I think, could also be a description of your circumstances in life. 
I hesitate to use the phrase, the cards that you have been dealt. But in life, sometimes we are handed circumstances not of our own choosing. Perhaps you have to face suffering. Or there are family or health circumstances which you did not choose and which constantly discourage you. Don't think of those difficult circumstances as something that has gone wrong. Think of them instead as something handed to you by the Lord to develop you for something much greater in the world to come. Treat your circumstances as opportunities for you to grow in your understanding of God and in your knowledge of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is describing many of his sufferings, but he says that these sufferings have produced in him extra gold, eternal gold, more talents, to use the word of the parable. He says this, Therefore, he says, after listing all his troubles and trials, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When we meet the Lord Jesus, our master, he will pay particular attention to what we have endured and endured for the sake of the Lord without becoming bitter, without becoming discouraged. He will pay particular attention to what we have suffered, to what we have lost out in life through no choice of our own. And he will reward us for being faithful to him in those situations. Let's just buy in a moment's prayer and then I'll hand back to Neville. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the insight that the Lord Jesus gave in so few words, in such an understandable way. Words and stories that can inspire us as to how to set the direction of our lives. We pray, Father, that if we have seen anything of ourselves in any of these servants, that we'll respond to the challenge of the Lord and to change our motivations, to develop the right mindset and so be better prepared to enter into the joy of heaven where we will continue to serve the Lord, such a generous master. So bless your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen.